What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Weekly Watt for Friday, May 20th, 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Colin Jenkins, alongside the future of fitness himself, Eric Malzone. How's it going, Eric? Oh, it's doing well. I'm I'm I want to congratulate us. We're exactly on time today. I think Sweet. It's pretty I good. Getting, it takes a little practice. <laughs> yeah, I guess the I guess we're getting a little better. Um yeah, what's been up with you? I've been talked I missed you last week. So anything new over the past two weeks for you? Uh let's see, man. I don't know. Did we uh I, I was in New York. I don't know if we talked about that yep. meeting. Yeah, with yeah. You. The boutique fitness summit. Uh, then last two weeks just been uh, cranking out, man. I've been doing a lot of podcasts, okay. interviews. Uh, as I told you this morning, got to interview. It's not live yet, but the uh, the founder of uh, Tonal, uh, Ali Orati, which was really interesting and what they're doing nice. and the sheer amount of data and you know hundreds of thousands of subscribers now. Um, so it's been cool to follow his journey. But other than that, man, I mean. You know, the world of fitness is uh, is evolving quicker than you and I have ever really seen before. So now, the, did you get any insight from him about? So <clears throat> I haven't. Total's one of the few uh, machines I haven't tried yet, mm -hmm. and I'm always. It's been out for a while now, and I'm always thinking that there's gonna be like a new iteration of Tonal. So mm -hmm. I don't really want to. I feel like if I buy it, it's gonna turn into the next version of Tonal, like exactly a month after, yeah. uh, which is probably not the case, but did you get any uh, insight and whether or not that might be the case? Uh, I, I would just go ahead and get one. I think I'm, um, I'm, he's, I'm going to test one out. So I'm going to get one as well. That was one of the things I, uh, oh, yeah? I was really excited about. So I'm going to get one, but I, I would look at it more like this. I think tonal is more like Tesla. Like you can get a Tesla, um, and then they're going to constantly update the software. And that's what that, that's the key is like, I don't think the patents or the, the shifts in what their hardware is. I mean, it's electromagnetic well, resistance, right? But I think the software that runs it is going to be continually be updated. So I think you could probably be I, pretty, pretty, he, I feel he like, mentioned anything. I feel like you're, tr that's true, except for one thing. And that's the yeah, okay. fact that it only goes up to like so many pounds. Oh, so for like, you know, not that I lift as much as I used to, but uh, you're stronger I feel than like, the average dude, Colin. Yeah, I feel like uh, I would love it to be like another. It's like it was up to like 200 pounds, which I know for digital weight because it's it you don't get momentum. It's actually heavier, but so it probably feels like more like 250 or, or a little bit more than that. But uh, I would love to see something like like a pro version go up to like 300 pounds of digital weight, uh, which I'm sure it will. I'll probably end up buying it like in a few months, and then it'll come out like in. A month after that, but that's okay. Yeah, well, give that's me thirty okay. days. Let me get one. I'll play around with it. Okay. Get, you know, I mean, I, here's the thing: yep. is like not to get too off track, but they have. Yeah. You know, I was looking at who they have as ambassadors: Serena Williams, LeBron James, Steph Curry, uh, Bobby Wagner, uh, Brandon Marshall, Tony Gonzalez. Like these are very strong people. So I would imagine, like, unless they're using it for like rehab or preventative measures, I imagine it's got to have a certain amount of level of resistance. Those are big, strong people. Um, well, they don't use it. They, I mean, they're not going to use it for all of their training. That's like, true. They're going to they're going to use it for for what they need to use it for. And, and some athletes don't. I mean, it just depends on the time of year and what they're using it for. For upper body, it seems for sure, you know, definitely enough weight for most cases and for most uses. Uh, in in terms of like its efficiency in the home and like how little space it takes up for how much you can do with it, I think that's really the big yeah, draw cool. of it. Is you don't have to have a barbell and weights and all this other stuff. You could just have this very slim profile machine against the wall uh, and be able to jump on at any time. So uh, definitely interested. And I know a lot of people really love it. So curious to see how that goes for you. Yeah, me too. Um, 
you know, around here, I'm just still moving everything. I just, you know, I moved into this new house a few weeks ago and it still feels like I have made uh, very little progress in terms of <laughs> organizing things. I, but we have, but it just, there's so, I mean, it's such a pain in the butt. And I, I feel like uh, it'll never end, but I <laughs> slowly am chipping away at it and getting things organized, but uh, hopefully it'll end soon. Well, here, so, here's what we do yeah. is like you get a bigger house and then you just get more stuff. And then that's the that's that's thing. I don't remember this. I don't remember moving ever being this pain in the butt, but I feel like it's just the accumulation of stuff uh, over time. You know, by the time in 20 more years, it'll probably be like a, a whole year effort to, to move, yeah. I guess, if I don't throw anything away. But uh, yeah, it's, it's no fun. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the weekly Watt live show where each and every week we come together to nerd out about everything in connected fitness and health. If you like that, you can head over and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Connect the Watts, to watch the show live. Or you can find us on podcast services like Apple or Spotify. And if you're feeling extra helpful, make sure to leave us a review. Appreciate it as always. Now, today we have a lot to talk about. We're going to focus the first half of the show on the Peloton and IFIT litigation settlement story because there is a lot to unpack around that. And whether or not you have a Peloton or if you're an IFIT member, uh, it doesn't really matter because if you're interested in connected fitness, it will probably affect you in some way. And after that, during the second half of the show, we have a special guest uh, Justin Ruthlingshofer, a uh, fitness tracker and recovery expert to discuss how best to use data to adjust your uh, training for better results. <laughs> now, this episode was made possible by today's sponsor, Tempo, makers of Tempo Studio and the Tempo Move, and you'll hear a bit more about them later. But for now, let's talk about this story. Now, before we dig into this whole Peloton and iFit settlement uh, story, there is one interesting news that came up around Peloton this week that I want to kind of get your thoughts around first. Mm. Uh, and that was that uh, Peloton had announced or they just made this deal with Congress uh, earlier this week. So the, the deal with Congress was that everybody in Congress and all the police officers that revolved around the Capitol uh, was going to get access to either a Peloton digital membership or free access to an all access membership. Wow. So it's part of like a, a packaged, uh, you know, corporate package deal for everybody. I, I believe it was like they were going to pay $10,000 as a base fee and then $10 for every person that wanted to actually use it, um, huh. which doesn't seem that great of a deal since the Peloton digital app is about $10. So yeah, it, it, I don't know. But anyway, it was going to go through. And then let me pull over like what happened here. Um, so it's going to go through. And then there are some issues going on. People were not happy about all these perks <laughs> going on at the same time. You know, people can't get baby formula. And so yeah, right. uh, there was a lot of complaints. And uh, this, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy went and did a 10 minute uh, rant on the floor about Peloton and how <laughs> they, they should not uh, get that it. That doesn't look and, good. Uh, <laughs> no. And, and they ended up canceling it. They, they, cause they ended up canceling the whole perks package along with side, some ice cream package. It was like a really weird uh, <laughs> thing. I don't know. So why. it was, it was essentially like a corporate wellness program specifically yeah. for Congress. Right. Mm -hmm. And yep. uh, because it, was, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look good. Like no, so the optics it looked like it looked great. like Peloton finally had a you know a big win you know it yeah. could have been a good because uh, they're really trying to 
go into corporate packaging now that things are open now. Not everybody wants to work out in their home, trying to capture people with corporate packages and hotel packages, all that type of stuff. Um, so it looked like a, a really good win for them. But then at the, by the end of the week, it was like, uh, no, it's not going to happen. So yeah, it's I, I thought that was sort of an interesting um, news bit. But so, yeah, let's talk about this litigation story, because um, the big news of the week was that iFit and Peloton reached a settlement um, for all of their law. Basically, they just decided this is a tough time for businesses, especially connected home fitness businesses. Like we need to stop spending all of our money on suing each other in litigation and just get this resolved for once. And so they settled on all of their ongoing lawsuits, which they had multiple. Uh, And you know, I'm going to talk about each of them because I'm. I think there is a lot of interesting discussion to be had around these different uh, lawsuits and how they will affect not just Peloton and iFit, uh, but probably every other connected fitness device. Um, and so the there's kind of three big lawsuits, two ones that will affect people the most. And the the first one was regarding iFit. So iFit, they're makers of Nordic Track and Proform. They have the patent around auto-adjusting equipment that's done by the instructor or by, done by the class. So, you know, when you're on their bike or on your treadmill, you know, if you see a incline, right, you're going up a hill, uh, the bike or the treadmill automatically inclines or declines relative to that. And it adjusts, like on the, not on the bike, well, the bike, it'll adjust the resistance, right? Right. Depending on what the goal is for that. Um, and the treadmill will adjust to speed. And they they have a smart adjust system that combines like your fitness, like how fit you are relative. And then it'll, it'll kind of work with you. And it's it's pretty good. Um, they've been getting better with like adjusting it and fine tuning it. So who, now, sorry, Colin, who owned that initially? So and then who- iFit owns that patent. Okay. Right? They, they own that patent. But then... Um, Peloton came out with the Peloton bike plus and the big draw or one of the big draws, uh, the Peloton bike plus is that it has auto adjusted. So it, it doesn't incline or decline, but it does auto adjust the resistance for you. So you don't have to worry about, you know, turning the knob, uh, hmm. while you take a class. And so obviously I fit, that was a one litigation that's been going since the Peloton bike plus was announced. Uh, that was you know, a big, uh, a big deal. And so Peloton, there there has been no resolution to that for for over a year wow um and that's that's an interesting one to follow so the uh so the solution for this settlement for that is that peloton is just going to pay ifit now for the use of that ongoing so i don't there's no details shared uh none of the companies would Give me, I got a little bit of juice out of the company. Yeah, yeah. what'd you get? (laughs) Well, because once, once they settled, it's just like, they can't, I don't think they can really talk about much. Um, But basically it's a set amount. I don't know if it's going to adjust year to year or how it works, but it's going to, um, they're going to be paying iFit continuously for the ability to have the auto adjust feature on the Peloton bike plus. So that, um, that's one thing I'll, I'll talk about how that will maybe affect other companies too. Um, the other one that got resolved was regarding a patent that Peloton has for their interactive leaderboard. So basically when you take a, a class on Peloton, 
you can see everybody else in the class alongside you and how they're doing. And, you know, you can interact, you can high five them, you can look at their profile, that sort of thing. Um, and so Peloton had the patent, I guess, for that. And um, IFIT obviously has a leaderboard during their classes, but almost everybody does in Connected Fitness. Like Hydro has one, yep. Echelon has one. They all kind of, some of them, it's very unclear about the patent of how much it'll hold up because it's technically like any leaderboard for any fitness class, which is kind of hard to hold up. I mean, if you think about like, well, you, you could call it like a game, a fitness game and like yeah. there's live leaderboards in all games. So it's, it's a weird patent, uh, but people have skirted around it in different ways. Like, um, like one of the things I noticed when I was reviewing the hydro you know, I had a good leaderboard, but you couldn't interact with it anyway. You couldn't like see other people's profile. You couldn't high five until the class is over and then you could. So hmm. I thought that was maybe interesting. I was like, why, why is it limited? I would like to be able to just, if I see somebody that's like I'm, I'm rowing near, just kind of like add them as a, a friend, but looking at the, uh, the patent stuff, I can kind of see why maybe they're kind of skirting around that. Um, Echelon typically has no holds barred. They'll just do whatever they want. So theirs is very similar to uh, to Peloton's when in terms of like interactive. They actually have emojis. You can send like it's kind of weird. You can send like little wink stuff. It's, it's super yeah. weird uh, on their leaderboard. Um, but it's very similar to Peloton's. Uh, and iFit iFit's wasn't very interactive. You, I mean, you could sort it and you could see previous people, but you couldn't really see who's in the class with you or, or really interact with it very much. Um, but even that was, you know, an issue. So, um, no, IFIT has said in part of the agreement that they're, they're just going to stop using the relevant parts of that patent in terms of their leaderboards. But looking at what they're actually doing, it doesn't seem like they're actually removing the leaderboards. Uh, what they are doing, which, um, some people are upset about, I'm not, is they are removing their live classes, all of them, wow. um, from their platform. So, wow. The reason why I'm not upset about that is because, you know, iFit does one thing really well, and that is their um, outdoor scenic content. Uh, it's great. Their indoor live studio content isn't like that great, especially not compared to like Pelotons. Um, so the the preset on demand content that's set in the outdoor backgrounds, things like mm -hmm. that, is that what that's what you're talking about? Yep, that's that's great. The studio indoor where they do their live classes, that's not so great. Now, they're going to continue doing the studio classes evidently, but just not live. But I don't see I actually think it's kind of a, you know, they, they maybe they could have paid Peloton to continue doing it, but I don't see the point because almost nobody takes those live classes. Like you'll jump in, there'll be like 10 people in there, 15 people in there. It's I think it's actually a smart move for iFit to just use this as a reason to get rid of them altogether. And maybe use those resources for something that they do much better, which is that that outdoor content. And they're going to be doing; they'll still do live events. So they do like live five k races, ten k, different types of like race events, which I think is cool. That is cool. Um, this will give you like a goal to like you know motivate yourself to to work towards. Um, and then you can do it live with the group, and they'll still have that. Um, but in terms of like the the other class, the live classes, they are going to get rid of those at the end of the month. So. That was one thing. And obviously that could affect, again, a ton of companies. And because 
Peloton has a lot of lawsuits against all of them. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, all of them are kind of low on money and they, they really probably shouldn't be spending it on this stuff. So they seem much more willing to like, just be like, okay, let's just figure out a way to like end this nightmare. Right. How do these companies stack up? I mean, I, I haven't done the research. Mm -hmm. Like I fit in Peloton as far as like market share users. Do you know any of that information? Like, are they the two yeah. big giants in the market that are kind of battling it out or are there other key players? Would you say? Yeah. I mean, it's, very dependent on how you look at it because it's so like ifit has been around for like 40 plus years right um their member base is is pretty big their member base is comparable to peloton's i think they have like three or four or close to three million subscriptions with over seven million like actual memberships which is kind of similar to peloton's um in terms of equipment sold uh before 2021 iFit was the number one fitness um, manufacturer in the world. Uh, then Peloton took that over in 2021. Mm. Um, which if you think about it, it's insane. Like even like Rogue doesn't even compare to them. Um, just to let you know how many bikes and treadmills and stuff they, mm. they sell. Uh, I don't know about that case now, like this year, as things are dropping a little bit. But uh, they're the two biggest in terms of definitely in terms of like exercise paired with memberships and there's other like apps and other memberships that probably have big numbers like that I'm, I'm guessing but i don't think any of them compare in terms of like the actual number of machines or equipment that are paired with them I and mean, there there's a lot of other ones out there but not to the same size as those two so they're and they're, they're two with the most patents and the most like obviously probably in most lawyers as well. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting time, right? I mean, it's like, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic. People are going back to gyms. Uh, you know, inflation is high market, you know, I don't know how much, like I, it sounds like consumers are still spending money, but you know, are they going to be spending it on this if they got it? Or are they going to be out traveling? Are they going to be, you know, spending it on, you know, dining and, movies and shows like what is is this still going to be the focus of of consumer money i, I it, it's going to be a fascinating year i think as we go on yeah i think i think everybody's just kind of self-correcting and trying to figure out i mean mm -hmm. this year's gonna be tough i mean i don't know if you saw like the reports from like target or walmart this week yeah um, yeah but consumer spending is way down um people just don't have as much money when you're spending you know i don't know about you over there um but it's like you know 650 a gallon here on gas Ouch. And, I mean, it, it doesn't affect me. I don't go anywhere, right? So it's, it's not a big deal. But uh, for for other people, I imagine it's a bigger deal. Um, but for me, it's the meat. I mean, I yeah. used to I eat a lot of like deli meat, absurd amounts, and uh, I mean that's that alone costs hundreds of dollars more a month just from that that increase. Jeez. Uh, so uh, I mean, it, yeah, because it used to be like six dollars a pound for some good turkey. Now it's like twelve dollars. It's it's a lot. Um, but uh, so what's interesting, what I wanted to share, because I, I didn't see this anywhere else. And uh, it's something that I that kind of found its way to me. So there, those were the two big lawsuits that most people know yep. about in terms of uh, IFID and Peloton. And, and those are the ones that the outcome of which will have the most impact on other companies. But what I found really interesting was about a few days before, maybe a week before, a few days before that settlement came about, uh, there was a judge's like final notes on another uh, like 
civil lawsuit between the two companies. And this one was regarding of in regards to um, Peloton was suing iFit for like basically uh, to defend against the sell, like stealing their trade secrets. And so let me I'm kind of I took a bunch of notes here on on, on what <laughs> sure happened. Did, yeah. It's a 12 page like summary, but I found it really interesting. So this guy, um, this guy named Jeff Barber, who was working on a Peloton commercial, um, filming it, he was just he was like he had the script for the Peloton commercial doing his thing. He had a friend, um, that worked for iFit that he was like, this and the friend from iFit wasn't like a marketing guy, he was he works in like the manufacturing side. He just like, I, I don't know what he does, he's an engineer type guy. He, uh, the guy's like, oh, send me the script. I'd love just to like check it out. Like it sounds super interesting. And so the guy, it's his long-term childhood friend, uh, sent him the script. And then like eight days later, iFit sent Peloton that script back saying like, hey, there's shit in this script that's like our shit. <laughs> because, you know, we have, the, it's probably around like the bike plus with the auto adjust or whatever. Yeah. And then Peloton was like, how the hell did you get that script? Because... That so then they sued, so that's when they were like, okay, like let's sue them for stealing trade secrets, and then part of this was like, so basically Peloton claimed that, um, they you know misappropriated like by by doing several things. They they basically said that let me let me pull it up here. They said that after that script was stolen, that iFit's marketing at the beginning of 2021 resembled that script. Like there was a, in the script, there was a dad walking quietly around like a crib to not look at his like child up. And I guess that was a thing. Um, and they said like people looked similar to the people in the script, which I don't know how they look similar, but basically the judge was like, there is no similarities between these things that we would not expect from any similar kind of competition. Like right. obviously a dad trying not to wake up their kid is a common like, thing for home fitness equipment and then peloton also argued that ifit dramatically you know increased their marketing budget at the end of 2020 and early 2021 and that shows that they were they increased it because they had this trade secret from peloton which is like the dumbest thing ever because obviously everybody was in everybody in home fitness was increasing their marketing budget oh, yeah. at the end of it 2020 was, it was the heyday and in, in january 2021 when like it was like the most coronavirus -y time you know, like obviously they're going to be increasing their budget. So the, the judge was like, yeah, that's has nothing to do with that. Um, and then Peloton, you know, argued that iFit failed to notify them in time, which they notified them in eight days. So the judge was like, they didn't have to tell you at all. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he basically said that at the final conclusion wrote, you know, instead, um, Peloton's theory of misappropriation is based on speculation. Peloton's evidence, the unremarkable similarities between the iFit's advertisements and Peloton scripts, iFit's increased advertising spending, iFit's monitoring of Peloton's marketing activities. That was another act, argument they made that I, iFit was monitoring their um, marketing, like their um, their marketing activities because you know they're a public company and i so but of course they are who what comp what competitor yeah this, this sounds like other, corporate like, paranoia no yeah. so it was basically a way it looks like it was basically a way for you know peloton to try to like just cause time in courts right so right. make money spend make another company kind of struggle um but i thought it was interesting that that came about like literally days uh before the settlement so i don't know if that, I mean, it obviously had something to do with it. 
but uh, it's kind of an interesting conclusion. And, and now in terms of like the outcome of everything, like I'm really interested to see, like obviously auto adjusting is going to be tough and maybe iFit's going to be making some extra money by just licensing that out. Um, because like even at, in sure fitness are. gyms, even in, in gyms, like it seems like a feature that you may want to have, like having a, a treadmill auto adjust to the user. Like mm-hmm. that's a pretty good, um, a pretty good patent, I would think. And then the leaderboard thing. I mean, that's literally, so is it like every connected fitness device can't have a leaderboard without, I can think of three off the top of my head that have leaderboards and interactive too, with like emojis and like points mm-hmm. and, you know, like all kinds of stuff. I mean, even like you get into the fitness metaverse, it's all going to be leaderboards. Yeah. And I don't, that's why I never thought that pattern would hold up. Cause I mean, imagine like, that would be like saying like, Oh, like somebody has like on a video game, like, you know, your high scores, high scores are patented. Like you can't, uh, it'd be super weird. Uh, but I guess in the realm of like, I feel like there's a million ways you could skirt around it, but the fact that they weren't, they didn't skirt around it and they're just choosing the cancel. No, it's because they're, they're canceling the live classes, but they're not removing the leaderboards on the on-demand classes. makes it seem like they only really think that the leaderboards will hold up during live sessions. Hmm. So that that's one thing. Um, it's, it's like the NFL saying, okay, the scoreboard, that's our patent. Yeah. I know you, yeah. Everyone else plays different (laughs) sports, but that that's ours. You can't use that anymore. Like it's, it's ubiquitous. Like you can't, you can't avoid it. Yeah, it's super weird, um, but that might be the case because I don't think, like I said, in this environment, everybody wants to go up against any more lawsuits or any issues. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see all of the connected fitness platforms take away the leaderboards, at least for their live classes, which is super lame because like, it's so weird to take a live class without seeing, like, you don't even know you're live unless you see other people yeah. there with you. Yeah, exactly. I did, uh, yeah, I was like, actually, you know, that was a case when I, I distributed a, a, a new fitness piece of equipment called the, the Jack Jocks Interactive Studio. It's like mm-hmm. a screen no. and all the dumbbells and stuff. Um, and I, one of the issues, one of the, it was, a, it's a good machine, but one of the things I did not like about it was their live classes was literally, there was no interaction of the coach to anybody in the class. There was no leaderboard. There was no diff. I, I, the only difference between taking an on-demand and a live class experience there was that the connection was worse because you, know, you needed a better connection <laughs> to, to be able to handle a, a live, but it was super weird to even have a live class at all. If you don't have a leaderboard, uh, I feel like the whole point of live is that like be seeing other people in there with you and possibly competing against them. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen um, for all these companies. I'm, I'm really curious about how this settlement will affect, you know, the, the landscape of connected fitness and uh and if these companies have to adjust or if they just ignore it or or what you know if yeah, anybody's actually gonna push it like are they gonna come up with a new name for it like okay now it's the dashboard right where it's like okay well you have like you know well i mean like you know, as people tie in mm-hmm. like uh heart rate monitors and things like that into live training sessions like where is the line delineated between you know just having a dashboard with everyone's heart rate or um score like i don't it's very uh yeah it's 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 gonna be a chance a hard thing to do and then are you gonna chase down every connected company that that has some version of a leaderboard that sounds exhausting 
Maybe. I don't know. It's, I mean, anybody that's big, probably. I, again, I don't know. I know they were suing Echelon and, I mean, all these companies sue all of each other. Like, yeah. I know Hydro and iFit are in lawsuits, Echelon and iFit are in lawsuits, Echelon. And I think it, it's all a giant, um, it's so much money. But I guess that's in any tech sector is it's a big portion of a budget goes into patents and lawsuits. So um, it's, I guess it's sort of to be expected, but yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but I don't know. Let me, um, let's that's go a ahead. Lot, that's now. a lot of big news, man, for one week. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. uh, well, it's just a big, a big, story. makes me anxious. You know, I'm glad I don't work for one of those companies. I mean, you have to wonder if stuff like this is personal at some point, like so much. Oh, it was a hundred percent. A lot of this litigation is hundred percent personal. Like, yeah. uh, I fit actually demanded that the U.S. Trade Commission stop importing Peloton bikes uh, a few months ago. And then a, a month later, Peloton demanded that they stop importing iFit bikes for the same, like, it was, it's it's ridiculous. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, let's take a quick commercial break uh, to hear about Tempo and Tempo Studio and the Tempo Move. And then we'll be bringing our guest on this week, fitness track and our fitness tracker and recovery es- expert, Justin Ruthlingshofer. Uh, so we'll be right back. And now a big thank you to Tempo, who has helped make the weekly want possible by sponsoring this episode. In a connected fitness landscape that is changing so rapidly and with the fairly high price it can take to build out your own connected fitness home gym, it's nice to know which products are future-proof and which may become obsolete in just a few years. And that's why I love the Tempo Move. It uses high-quality dumbbells and Olympic-style plates, as well as since it utilizes the tech powered by your iPhone, it is built to last long into the future. And that's important because nobody wants to invest money into something that may not last or be made obsolete within just a matter of years. Make sure to check out the Tempo Move with the link below if you haven't done so already. All right. So welcome, Justin. He's a three-time best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and performance expert who has worked in the NHL for over a decade. He's also the founder of Own It, a digital platform that enables coaches to turn their athletes' fitness tracker data into meaningful performance in recovery gains. Welcome, Justin. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Looking forward to this. Yeah. How you doing, Justin? I'm great, Eric. How are you? Good, good. Awesome. Well, thanks for jumping in. You know, I talked to you maybe about a month ago or so, I think, we were talking about, uh, you know, how to use Whoop data and regards to Peloton workouts. Uh, and I think, you know, we got a lot out of it in terms of uh, being able to, you know, help get some understanding of data. But I wanted to talk to you today even more broadly and, and even maybe more in depth about data and how the average person can use their data to make better choices and to get better results. Because, you know, I think a lot of people in connect home fitness or outside of home fitness, they track a lot of data. Like people get heart rate bands. They see like strive scores on Pelotons. They have like HRV scores. They have sleep. They track their sleep. But I don't think most people actually do anything with it, which seems like it's sort of a waste of time and money. Because from me, my perspective, at least, like data is only valuable if it informs decisions. Otherwise, it's wasted space. Um, and so I kind of want to get your, you know, maybe we start broad and, and kind of go in from there, but like your thoughts on how people can start to use their data to, to, 
for a purpose, for with use and, and have help them help make decisions with it. Yeah, Colin, you bring up a really great point. And I think it's it, it's the, the time in which we're in, right? And the health and wellness space has just exploded and it's only going to continue to grow. And I know you guys were talking about even now the lawsuits that are coming up. I mean, obviously there's lawsuits because this this money talks and mm-hmm. it is a massive, massive industry. And the thing that I think has been lost in this is because it's become such a um, an arms race of when it comes to the tech piece is that every company is trying to create gamification within their platforms now. And it's trying to uh, take over what Instagram did or what Facebook did or what uh, TikTok has done in this addictive behavior change. And it's actually not going to create addictive behavior change in a positive way. It's just now bringing you back into that thing, but it's a piece of exercise technology uh, or health technology. And so as much as we want to think, oh, we're doing things the right way, we, we have to, as consumers, be really aware as to what we're being drawn into and what we're actually looking at. And the better that we can be educated, the better decisions we can make. I always say competence creates confidence. And having that level of confidence about heart rate variability, sleep quality, uh, your uh, resting heart rate numbers, respiratory rate, um, uh, zones for heart rate zones during exercise, after exercise, all of these things that we're, that we're looking at, what do they mean and how are they applied back to the foundational habits that exist in somebody's life to create actual change? Yeah, no. And so let me, I guess maybe let's just start with what people track most, right? The most people track or a lot of people track during exercise. Let's just talk about aerobic training just to make things easy for a little bit, like uh, bike and running. And um, let's talk about just like heart rate tracking. Like what, why, I mean, everybody tracks heart rate tracking, but what, is there something that people can do just even with something as basic as that? Is there anything that they could look for or uh, signs that could be seen or anything that they could use to, again, make better decisions? Yeah. So I think it all comes back to purpose, right? It's wanting to know why you're tracking. Like, what, what are you doing? What's your goal? What's the end result? Um, is it weight loss? Okay, great. Is it performance? Okay, great. Is it when you, you want to run a marathon? Is it that you want to run a triathlon? Is that you just want to run a mile? Um, is it that you just want to uh, be able to come back from your bout with COVID? Awesome. Like, w- whatever your goal is, fantastic. But let's get clear on what that is first. Because without a clear goal, without a destination... We can't put any steps that, that matter in place. Um, and once we do that, let's establish a baseline. And that baseline can be, um, again, this is where it becomes very individualized for each person, but it can be anything. And let's say um, it's, we talked about this, uh, Colin, on the, on the Peloton one, is where let's just choose a Peloton ride, use that as your standard base, a five-minute interval ride, and let's see what your average heart rate was. Let's see what your total score was. And that's your, that's your baseline. And then we go into a training protocol where it's slowly, progressively overloading. And then maybe once every two weeks, we come back, we do that baseline ride and see if we're improving. If we are, outstanding. And that's really something that's positive. Now, a lot of the data coming out shows from an overall health standpoint, let's just, let's just say health is our biggest um, uh, motive here, mm-hmm. is we talk about this zone two. And zone two training is, uh, it's been shown to increase cardiac output. It's been shown to uh, improve respiratory rate. It's been shown to improve 
uh, cholesterol and triglyceride levels. It's been shown to improve um, uh, heart efficiency, all of these things, which are positive, which obviously improve sleep, which improve uh, recovery. It, it, it's undoubtedly the one of the most important things that you can do. Uh, and so zone two training, uh, which is somewhere between that 60 and 75% uh, max heart rate zone is super important to be able to include into our day. Now, a lot of your trackers, whether it's uh, Fitbit, whether it's uh, the Apple Watch, whether it's Whoop, whether it's um, the Aura Ring, actually Aura Ring doesn't because it doesn't go live. Um, Polar, Garmin, any type of live heart rate strap is gonna do this. Um, it'll just take your age, 220, subtract your age. And that's gonna be what your max heart rate is. And then you're gonna get percentage off of that. And so um, that I think is, if we can start instituting three or four days of zone two training for overall health in somebody's week, you're going to be outstanding. I usually go somewhere between 100 and 140 minutes is what we're looking for weekly. You can break that up however you want in that zone two stage. Great way to have purpose, intention to optimize uh, your health uh, utilizing these, uh, these technologies. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's really useful because, you know, especially within connected fitness and home connected fitness, all these programs that you follow. Uh, and again, we were talking about Peloton mostly. So just using them as examples is, is really easy. Most people, like the most popular classes and schedules and, and things you see people doing, uh, it's going to be high intensity interval training. It's going to be mm -hmm. most people just pushing for PRs all the time. And, and now Peloton has one program power zone training, where they do make a good effort be like, Hey, like, a good number of your rides are going to be lower like zone, you know, it's, it's power zone on heart rate space, but basically it's essentially zone two on and zone three on, on heart rate. Um, and it's a lot of time spent there, um, which I think is great, but I think most people don't take those classes, uh, even though there's a dedicated core group who could only take those classes. But I feel like it is something that people, it should be talked about more is like, you know, you maybe should not, go as hard as you can. I mean, you know, Eric and me are from CrossFit days where there's no such thing as, I, I don't think my heart rate is ever below 90. What was it? Pukey uh, the Clown? Pukey the Clown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was good marketing. Oh man. Tough one. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, even, and even in CrossFit, you know, people were talking like for the earlier days, like early before 2010, it was just all about, you know, intensity and stuff like that. And, you know, I know for me personally, when I was doing training competitively, when I actually took it seriously and actually tried to like get significantly better, most of my days were spent doing really low effort zone two training, just tons and tons of it. And it was remarkable how much better of an athlete I became by doing that versus hmm. just high intensity stuff all of the time. It was more about movement efficiency and accumulation and, and building a good base. And I think outside of CrossFit, just in general health, it's like, again, people just underestimate because, because everyone is so short on time. Right. And mm -hmm. so I feel like maybe that's the issue is people want to be like, I just only have 20 minutes in the day and I want to get the best, the most I can out of the short time I have. And so I guess my question then to you is, with the benefits of lower effort training and you were, you mentioned like 120, 150 minutes a week or, or somewhere around there, what can somebody who has more limited time, let's say they work out five days a week, but only really 20 minutes a time. And, and 
and that's all of that strength, that's car conditioning, it's everything. Like, what kind of advice, I guess, would you have for them in terms of that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I mean, it's <laughs> um, Tim Ferriss will hate me because I'm going to come at him from a like the four hour work week is not. Um, something that it was a great marketing ploy, a great way to get people er, to buy your Eric product. only works for hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I, mean, I, I don't know if it's working, but yeah. Any, <laughs> yeah. Any, any of your, any of your, like your billionaires, any of your people who have built amazing companies, they're not, they're not following a four hour work. Week. And uh, we talk about, we go back into the four hour body where it's like, Hey, go and hit this and like mm -hmm. get after it. Uh, do your, um, uh, your 2010 intervals and uh, do eight of them and call it a day. Well, awesome. Cool. There's studies that show the benefits of that, but then there's also studies that show that there's massive benefits with 150 minutes of zone two training a, a week as well. And so I think you have to level set expectations with what you're willing to put in. And if you're, if you only have 20 minutes a day, amazing, fantastic. Let's use those 20 minutes the best that we can, but don't expect that you're going to lose 150 pounds. If that's what you need to lose. Don't expect that you're going to be uh, the chiseled dad walking down the beach. Don't expect that you're going to um, uh, improve your squat by uh, 200 pounds. If we can level set what our expectations are and for 20 minutes a day, you're going to go and you're going to create some uh, some variance in what you're doing. And you're going to do a uh, maybe three days a week, you're going to do zone two or two days a week, you're going to do zone two. And then the other four days, you're going to hit it hard in a, uh, a high intensity interval bout. Um, and then maybe one day a week, you're doing some heavy strength work. Amazing. And that's kind of where uh, I come back and I always talk to, we need to create a variety along the spectrum of what we're looking for. And that's how you can really create that holistic health or holistic um, uh, strength and conditioning protocol for the average person. Um, th there's always six things we want to try and hit on, right? We call them different days. So one, you want to move something really heavy. So like strength day, like really like two to four reps, um, heavy, heavy strength. We want to keep that adaptation going. Then you want to move something fast. So work on all of your power work. Um, think uh, like 65% of your max on a squat and maybe you're doing jump squats with it or something to that nature. Uh, then you want to go and uh, you want to sprint. There's going to be a sprinting day where you're really taking, uh, taking hold of these, um, these sprinting mechanics. Then you want to go um, and do what I call play, like a play day where uh, are you um, playing basketball? Uh, are you playing a sport? Are you uh, using it in a different, different bunch of different um, planes of motion and having to do a bunch of different tactile um, motions while also being um, able to stand and, and, and have motor control and motor um, function in different ways. Then you're going to do your steady state, which is kind of that zone two we talked about. Then it's going to be your interval work and something getting you to high, high heart rates and holding it there. And then you're going to have a rest day and something so utilizing that kind of framework and that kind of diversity allows you to have a really level set um, and, and well-rounded holistic uh, training regimen in, in just 20 minutes a day, but making sure again, that your expectations of what's going to happen out of that are level set as well. Gotcha. 
Yeah. The question, I got a question for you, Justin, and we alluded to it earlier. And I think we're looking at like this, this age of accessibility of data because more people are wearing wearables. Um, there's easier ways to get stuff like DNA and blood tests, like inside tracker. Uh, this morning I actually met with someone from levels and we talked about continuous glucose monitoring and the availability of that is getting more and more and more. But the, the issue, like we, we talked about earlier is, okay, cool. This is, that's great. I mean, I have a Lumen on my desk, right? It's like, okay, now I know ketones are at, but, but now what? Like, what do I do? Quick, quick, quick note about levels. Yeah. So I used levels last year. And now okay. um, the one thing I learned, I, I learned two things about that I thought were really interesting, just as a really interesting side note. One, if I eat cinnamon Cheerios at night, because I, <laughs> I always eat cereal and chocolate milk uh, as my... Um, pre-bed warm-up and uh you're gonna have which i do not suggest for anybody else glucose but... <laughs> spike at night i'll tell you oh that. yeah we'll talk oh, yeah. about it's that fun. offline cons but, yeah. but, but, with, but with the cinnamon but with the cinnamon cereals my uh glucose did not spike or my insulin did not Regulated, spike for sure and then also interesting which i did not know before i took the levels was that if i ate something that would spike my glucose like Cheerios or ice cream or you know stuff I normally eat. Uh, if you go for a walk or just, even just like a walk afterwards, it's so much different yeah. in how your body reacts to it. It blew my mind how like if somebody if, if people don't want to lose weight, like just move a little bit after you eat some yeah. happy food. It would be a it, it really like that data is really interesting, uh, and I hope that more people can get access to it because it's it's really it is kind of interesting to see but sorry i had to no, yeah, yeah, and, no and it's, i'm, it's I'm gonna add go. something to that call and it's really interesting because it's quite frankly it's what we do at own it is we we help people mm -hmm. understand all of these different data components mm -hmm. and then make them actionable for people and so to your point what you're going to start to see and, and it's predictable now is you said it cinnamon uh, uh apple cider vinegar or any type of vegetable prior to eating something starchy or sugary is going to have that level set effect. Um, and uh, to your again, to your point, if you go for any type of walk, that's why for my wife and I, we always take our dog for a 15 minute walk after we eat dinner. Why do we do that? For that purpose. It's just a habit that we've built because it level sets our um, blood glucose before we sit down on the couch and watch This Is Us and cry our eyes out before we go to bed. And, uh, <laughs> and then... Um, uh, the, the third thing is the food, the order in which we eat our food should always be vegetables, protein, fats, and then carbs in that order. And so that simple adjustment actually minimizes the glucose spike, um, as, as you're, as you're going through. And so these are just things that you can learn, but again, it's like having an idea as to how, and I want to talk a little bit, Eric, about what you said is like the more that these tools, these tools are all amazing. I love them. The fact, like, and and a lot of the the way that um, our world's going, it's great. But we have to realize that they're just tools. That they are. You get a blood glucose monitor; it's not going to fix your blood glucose problems. You get a whoop band; it's not going to help you sleep better. You get a uh, an aura ring; it's not going to make you more active. You get a lumen; it's not going to make you eat better. Like none of these things are there to actually put it all together, and they're only looking at one entity of the body. Our body has 250 million processes that happen every second, and it's what happens chronically over time that ultimately impacts cell mutation. It's called chronic disease for an issue. It didn't happen overnight; it manifested overnight, 
it, it you, you found it out overnight. Yesterday, you didn't have diabetes. Today, you did. But actually, you've, ha- you've been earning diabetes for the last 18 years. And so it's chronic. And so what, what we actually want to do is we want to get a holistic picture of what's going on in your body. And um, it, I mean, when, when we bring a client on, we do gut biome paneling. We do DNA testing, epigenetic, epigenetic testing, cellular glucose interaction testing, uh, cellular nutrient dysfunction, and then uh, an LPP cardiovascular panel along with a hormone panel to understand, okay, what's going on in the gut? How is that processing in the brain? And what's happening at the cellular level? Because that's where everything manifests from. And if we can understand where it all manifests from, then we can start creating different access points. And then we can start creating different habits that create the foundation. Our habits are a foundation. Health is the foundation. Mm-hmm. Health is the is the number one performance enhancer we could ever do. Ask somebody, uh, I don't care if they're the best athlete, the best entrepreneur, the best mom or dad, how good are you when you have a cold? I'll be the first to admit, I'm an absolute bag of crap. <laughs> like, and, and I'm a high performing guy. Like, um, but if I have a cold, lights out like my capacity takes an absolute plummet and 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 we we need to make sure that i don't care how how much i'm tracking how much i'm doing these days the habits to optimize health need to need to be put into place so making things actionable and purposeful for you you and you like eric colin and and myself all things are going to be different all three of us could have uh uh a um uh, a similar problem, but the solution to that, that A is actionable and B most importantly is sustainable is definitely going to be different because Colin, your life is different than mine. And Eric, yours is different than Colin's and, and Eric, yours is different than mine as well. And so we need to create that actionability in a very purposeful and intentional way um, based upon those individualized metrics. Yeah. yeah, interesting. You know, and I, I think when you're talking to like all those those tests that you're running sound awesome. Like the the amount of data and insights that you can get at the level and depth that you you can get from those is is impressive. I think if you're going to suggest to people who are con- you know really concerned about health and longevity, um, and when we take into account the more uh, I guess accessible data that we have stuff that comes from wearables or that, you know, that we can, you know, maybe buy one more device in our life and, and, and monitor what, what do you think are like the two or three most important metrics that people should be aware of that would be the most valuable when it comes to health and longevity. And I think this is like a very debatable conversation, right? Because some people will say, well, HRV is the guiding light. Um, you know, a, a lot of it, even just resting heart rate, but you think for, for the common person, right? What, what would you suggest that they're focusing on? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So studies have shown us, well, actually, I'll go back. Common sense tells us that life cannot exist without air, water, food, and sleep. Those are the four things. If our bodies, if humans do not get any of those four things, we die. So they're probably pretty important. Um, Now you come into what science has told us creates longevity is a higher average HRV, a higher average sleep quality number. So total hours of sleep quality every night, not quantity, big difference. And then a steady blood glucose. Those are the three things that 
of all the science of all the um, longitudinal studies that have that have come back and been shown is that those three things, if we can maximize those three things, um, we can ultimately create uh, create longevity in ourselves. So, so to answer your question, those three things would be a steady uh, blood glucose, a average, a higher average HRV, and a higher average sleep quality time um, on a nightly basis. Awesome. So I'm curious about the sleep quality um, from your perspective because that's one of the things I'm kind of figuring out. Like I don't sleep very much at all because sleep means I'm not doing something else that I could be doing. That's more fun. <laughs> but and so I wish Colin's I could just gonna, like have. Colin's gonna leave this earth earlier I, than we are. Yeah, I know. Man. Like people don't understand sleep. my my cereal, chocolate milk, four hour sleep regimen is really what keeps <laughs> me young, but and keeps me going. But in terms of sleep quality itself, I am curious about where you feel the best data to look at from. Cause you know, I, I have like you know, probably at this point I have like nine things tracking my sleep. Yeah. And they, none of them are at, I mean, they're, they're accurate and comparable to each other in terms of like my sleep time and wake time. But in terms of like the REM and deep sleep, they're, all over the place and i can't tell what i mean i have no idea which is right or wrong so i'm curious to get an idea from you maybe about like is there any data that shows any of these being better than the others i'm really curious because i I have polysonography (laughs) (laughs) get 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 psg in your room there you go that's the answer i mean yeah it's it's tough colin i mean it's it's uh, the, the, the companies are doing the best they can, um, but a lot of it is an estimate. At, at best, your best wearable right now is about 45 to 60% accurate on your sleep quality every night um, at best. Uh, that doesn't mean that other metrics aren't great, like your respiratory rate or your resting heart rate or um, body temperature or uh, these things, but that's how they create. That's how they algorithmically kind of back into what your sleep quality time is, right? If, if your resting mm-hmm. heart rate is dropping at this, at this area, we can look at the research. We know that resting heart rate drops to a, its lowest level during REM and um, slow wave sleep. So that we can kind of start to figure out based off of uh, uh, even your HRV and uh, resting heart rate numbers, kind of these timings, but it's all an estimate. There's nothing uh, until they actually create mm-hmm. The one company that's doing a pretty good job of it, I mean, even Sleep8 has, it's still an estimate, um, but the one company that's doing a pretty good job that's got some really cool research going on with um, uh, your uh, polysonography and, and the the accuracy that's there is actually a company called SleepMe. Um, they haven't come out with it yet. It's still in testing. Um, they're still working on it. Um, but again, it's in lab right now, It's it's and they've been doing some really big stuff it's still only come out to 80% accurate. Um, and so it, it's a really hard thing to do unless you have um, uh, that, that polysonography in, in your actual bedroom, which nobody wants. Um, and I'm not sure if, if we'll ever get there, but I used um, to, I used to like 10 years ago before all these devices, I used to have this thing you could wear around your head. It would attack. I forgot what it was called. Like, but uh, that Me ended. Too. As I, was soon that, as I, I was that guy. So I'll tell you. I, I stopped wearing so. that as soon as I met my wife. I had to. I had, <laughs> 
Well, I tell you, I had a, I had a hard time. I had a hard time with girls in college because uh, <laughs> I was that guy going to bed with a pulse oximeter on a chest strap, a strap around my forehead and, uh, and red lights under my bed. So um, was not the most popular guy. I was the guy that he's weird. Stay away from him. Don't talk to him. But he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the sleep me. How how are was is that what it was called? Sleep me, Justin. Yeah. Yep. How are they? What's the mechanism that they are using to actually get the data? Yeah. So it's um, they're they're you've obviously heard of Chili Sleep. They're mm-hmm. uh they're a company that's been doing some things for a while, but um, uh, obviously using uh temperature regulation through um. Uh, through their water that's coming through cooling and heating you up based on different times of the day uh, or different times of the night, pardon me. And um, their technology kind of, again, it slides under the bed um, and there's and is a sensor in a couple different places. And so um, it's been, it's been really interesting to see how accurate it is and what they've been able to do. But again, it's about doing that repeatedly in other people's homes, not in the lab. Um, does when it goes now out of the lab, does it drop? I don't know. Um, and that's uh, the nice thing is it's it's not on a wrist, it's not on a finger. Um, it is whole body, which is obviously something we have to take into consideration. But at the end of the day, it comes down to brain waves and uh, what to understand what stages of sleep we're getting into. It has to has to parlay into that, and so. Um, there are different ways. Again, we can back into that, but how do you do that without specifically wearing um, uh, a device like this? There is another one. It's called Kernel, um, but I'm not wearing a helmet to bed, so um, <laughs> it's again, it's 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 pretty accurate. But again, it's like I'm just not wearing a helmet to bed, and I don't think 99% of other people are are going to be wanting to do that either. I think, Colin, you legally have to wear a helmet to bed, right? <laughs> yeah. I probably should be wearing one right now. <laughs> yeah. um, and, I, you know, I have eight sleep. And, uh, you know, I do find it super interesting to see it because, it, you know, it has a AI kind of auto learner. Like, basically, it tracks your sleep. For people who don't know what eight sleep is, it's a – well, I don't have the mattress. But I have a mattress cover. Mm-hmm. So, yep. basically, it's a very thin matrix of water, and it's connected to – uh, a little pod Generator. on the side yep. and it can, you, it can adjust the temperature of your bed from like 55 degrees to like a hundred over a hundred degrees. And, um, it can learn supposedly, I mean, you can set it yourself, but if you have the autopilot on, it kind of learns like what temperatures are in what types of sleep work best for you to kind of enable mm-hmm. you to sleep better. And that is, how did you find that work? How did you find the AI work in that? you hard to say because i i don't like look at my sleep quality through i don't really do a lot of the measurements that i would probably need to take to like know like oh it's actually improving i kind of just like just going on feel like that was probably you know what we i think i did like 50 reviews of products over the past year easily of different fitness and tech products and Mm -hmm. that's probably been are like for me and Megan, my wife, our favorite over like if there's one product I if I had to get rid of everything and I could only keep one, um that would be probably it. Just because well and also because our house got so hot, it was so terrible. And yeah, that was like the best just to jump into a bed that's like perfectly regulated to your temperature. But I so I don't suggest getting something like that um unless you plan to have it forever because I feel like I could never yeah. go back. 
Yeah, but, uh, I'll tell you a little story because we've mm-hmm. got a lot of clients that um, that go with sleep me or go with eight sleep, and mm-hmm. uh, because again, oh, I can sleep better, right? Like this is great, and they get it, and their sleep is disastrous because they're tossing and turning, they're chilly at night, they're cold at night, they're mm-hmm. uh, they're too hot during certain times, but and that's why I asked you how the AI was, was because when I went and got mine, even it, it was, it's really hard to like, I would wake up freezing in the middle of the night. And, um, once we, we do it manually, I mean, with our team of coaches learning all of these people, we're tracking heart rate variability, we're tracking respiration rate. We're looking at these, um, uh, and, and resting heart rate, we're looking at all of this over the course of the evening and, and the night, and then adjusting temperatures across the board. And by ultimately regulating this out, transformed quality of sleep. And now, again, is it um, is it an estimate? Yes. But as long as we're estimating the same estimate and, mm-hmm. and looking at the same estimate and it's a change in, in a positive direction and then it's consistent, over a longer change, you can probably say that there's been a positive adjustment. But what we've been able to do with them as well is create natural circadian rhythm states so that a lot of our clients, they don't even use alarms anymore because it's all temperature regulated. I think that's my favorite part about this is that as you get ready and prepare to fall asleep, A, you're falling asleep faster because now you have a temperature that your entire body is. It's not just, hey, we've got the air conditioner on to 68 degrees, but underneath the bed, it's 73, 74, 75, because that's what the covers bring us to, or sleeping next to our partner or our pet or whatever increases the temperature eightfold, whatever it may be. But we can actually regulate that out now and you dive into a deeper sleep quicker, knowing that the earlier you're in deeper stages of sleep, the longer you're there and the more impactful it is, the healthier it is on your brain, the more impactful it is on heart rate variability, the better it is for recovery. What do we just talk about longevity? All three of those things come into play there. And then you're not waking up with an alarm anymore because now we've got this timed out. If you need to wake up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., we've got the temperature now rising up to 103, 104, 105 degrees, and naturally you're just waking up. So you're coming out of that circadian rhythm much more easily. And now you're seeing a natural rise in cortisol. You're seeing a natural drop in melatonin, which is helping you jump out of bed much quicker. And now if you have those baseline habits, you get up, you see sunshine right away, you get your feet on the ground, you get some water in your body, you get some form of movement, your natural circadian rhythm just starts to take over. And that is when these habits that we talk about become truly uh, impactful and, um, and purposeful. And you're like, man, like I've, I've had these tools for so long. I thought this was going to do it, but no, it actually took being able to have a human or a person teach you, educate you, help you understand what this is, know you a little bit more, know what's going on. And then institute this plan that you can act on that actually works and changes your individual biology um, to make sure that, again, you're, you're optimized in the way that you're working. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. And, and I think one thing, too, just that you mentioned there, I think is an interesting point that um, just to counter what I was kind of my problems with sleep tracking um, is that I, th- I think you made a distinguisher of, of, of accuracy and precision. Uh, basically like some of these tools may not be accurate for like the sleep tracking, for example, but if they're measuring them in the same way, you can still, you don't need, not every metric needs to be accurate, but if it's precise in terms of it's measurable the same way, same with like body fat trackers and stuff like that, then you can use it as good data to to see improvements and improve or like 
if you're de increasing or decreasing your sleep or increasing or decreasing your body fat, even if it may not be like your true, you know, body fat percentage or your true, you know, sleep numbers completely, you know, I think it's um, definitely useful to have numbers as long as it's precise in terms of like how it adjusts. Yeah, you definitely can't have something. I mean, we talk about it all the time, shit in, shit out, right? And so if it's, well, I think, can you swear on the show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we already but, have like six times. They haven't kicked us out yet. <laughs> but uh, but if it's if it's if it's poor data in, it's going to be poor execution out. And uh, exactly what you say, Colin. As long as it's precise and it's being able to be consistent along these the these these same lines you can at least compare that to it. And um, the consistency needs to be there. Um, and so it becomes really difficult if you're comparing Whoop to Aura to um, Garmin, uh, because you're gonna see different numbers and it's not gonna make sense because quite frankly, they're all only about 45% accurate. So, um, but if you're comparing that preciseness of that unique device, you're able to bring context to it. And this is something else I, I talk about often is I, in the today's day and age, we have become so reliant on technology. And the unfortunate part about technology is, and who knows if it'll ever get here, it won't get here in our lifetime, but it, the technology cannot bring context to anything. Uh, humans are the only things that can bring context. And storytelling is a massive, massive skill. And it's, it's the art of coaching. It's the art of, of the human element. So if I, have a, if I go to sleep and I have a poor night's sleep, but I've done everything the same leading up, I, I lay down, I have a great night's sleep, or I have a poor night's sleep, I wake up and I'm exhausted, but I'm like, I did everything the right way. Your, dad, your technology doesn't know that you got in a fight with your spouse uh, and didn't talk to her all night. And then... Um, you subconsciously were thinking about that all night. You woke up and no wonder you're exhausted is because you have a different stressor going on and your piece of technology can't decipher that only humans can. And that's where bringing context to it and being able to storytell and, and be able to understand what's there is truly, truly important. Um, and knowing that HRV and let's go back to the concept of, of what HRV is is heart rate variability is, is a language. It's the way your body communicates with you, how it's how it's adapting to stress and strain. That's all, that's all HRV is. It's, there, it's, HRV isn't good, HRV isn't bad. If your HRV is low, it's not like sound all alarms treat you with white gloves. It's just a communication factor. It's just a communication tool. Hey, Colin, not adapting to the stress you put me under yesterday very well. And oh, by the way, our body doesn't know the difference between mental, physical, spiritual, or emotional stress. So that's another big shocker for people is like, if you go and do like a really hard workout or you're on back-to-back -back intense calls all day or have to make a really hard decision or you have to put your dog down or you're in a fight with your spouse or um, you're traveling and you're having to organize a bunch of things, those are all major stressors that your body has no clue the difference. It responds to each one of them the exact same way. And we have to realize that. And that's why when you go into a workout and then you're in a stressful time in your business and your primary caretaker for your parents, it, it breaks a lot of people because our body doesn't know the difference between these stressors. And we have this chronically depressed HRV score 
it's like, well, what's going on? I can't figure it out. I've worked out today. I should be healthier. Well, no, you've got these the three other categories, mental, emotional, and spiritual stressors that are just weighing you down and we haven't alleviated the gasket yet. And so helping people truly understand that and uh, be able to storytell and bring context to it in a much better way is, is, an, is an amazing way to be able to um, be more actionable and purposeful in, in those tools like we talked about that you're using. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Justin, thanks so much for jumping on. Um, so where can somebody go to learn more about you and, and own it? Yeah, absolutely. So two places, super active, uh, ownitcoaching.com. Mm -hmm. So ownitcoaching.com uh, or just uh, through my Instagram platform at Justin Roth with an L at the end. Justin Roth with an L at the end. And uh, you can uh, either be super active on Instagram as well as uh, uh, you can access us uh, right to our website. So anything, look forward to interacting with you guys. Awesome. And then Eric, uh, I know your Instagram might not be popping off as much but are, you know do you have an instagram I, yeah i have one it's at email zone i just i don't i don't okay. do a whole lot on it I, i'm uh, real bad I'm, I'm really bad with that too but yeah i'm on but anyway no how can um so we find more about you know future of fitness and mm -hmm. if they want to listen to your podcast of about with the uh, ceo of tonal uh, where, where can they find that yeah yeah thank you for that uh futurefitness.co is a site which actually is under reconstruction but it's it's still on the old stage um and then um heavily active on linkedin of course all the major uh podcast outlets so apple spotify google you name it i'm out there awesome awesome well thanks uh so much you guys and thanks so much for listening everybody it will be back next week likely friday or saturday we'll have to see but uh have a great rest of the week thank you <laughs>